Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. The labor board to Amazon. You cannot overturn a union election. Well, at least not this one. Transit workers strike in Virginia, and for very good reason. Today on the show, we check in with the laborers in Texas and how businesses should respond to a union drive. Welcome to the Friday, January 13th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least six platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. We have two guests on the show today. Our first guest comes from Austin, Texas, and that would be Matt Gonzalez. Matt is the business manager of Lyuna Local 1095. Now, they're based in Austin. They also stretch to San Antonio. Website, lyuna1095.org. As you know, Texas is a right-to-work state. Now, there's a good deal of organizing going on, but unions are not that well-respected in the state of Texas, and workers have to figure out other ways to make sure that they're protected on the job, and they do that through policy. This is going to be a really interesting uh, conversation. Worker protections and living wages and what they essentially are doing going to the respective city councils, county governments, and saying, you know what, maybe we need to a living wage ordinance. Maybe we need protections, better protections on the job, and do it through policy because of the lack of union representation there. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about to organizing through community partnerships and reintroducing the trades back into the schools. This is a great conversation. We've talked about this on previous shows. There was a time, I remember when I went to school, and I don't want to get into how old I am, but many of you may remember shop class. You went in there, you did some woodworking, maybe you built a cabinet, a bookcase. That doesn't happen anymore. No, 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 no. doesn't happen. And that was a catalyst for many young people to get in the trades. And a lot of those folks, well, they're retiring right now. We've got some positions to fill. And, I mean, we're talking baby boomers here, 74, 75 million. Big chunk of people saying, you know what? It's time to relax, time to retire, time to collect my pension, my Social Security, lived a long life. Well, we got to replace those folks. Matt's going to talk about that and more. Again, Lyuna1095.org. And we often uh, check with various labor's locals around the country. Our presenting sponsor, you probably know this by now, is Labor's International, led by General President Terry O'Sullivan. Lyuna.org, national website. Joyce Goldstein will be joining us later in the show. She has been on the show for the last couple of years, and she's very prolific in labor law. She's been practicing labor law for four decades now. Joyce Goldstein and Associates, JoyceGoldsteinLaw.com. And we're going to talk about an article in the uh, Harvard Business Review. You know there's a lot of organizing going on right now. In fact, uh, last year, 
2022, workers in the United States voted to form more unions than they have in nearly 20 years. Isn't that amazing? 20 years. Labor has organized at companies in almost every industry, ranging to uh, game workers. We talked about that with Frank Matthews of the CWA, Amazon, Trader Joe's, Starbucks. These were areas that never even thought about unionizing. And a lot of this has to do with the pandemic. Okay, that's the case. That's what's going on. Well, with that being the story, there's a lot of business owners scratching their heads saying to themselves, what do I do? They want to form a union. Uh, We got to call the lawyers. We got to call the union busters. Union avoidance, they call that. And you know many of them do that. So what this article talks about is how businesses, CEOs in particular, should respond to a organizing campaign. And it's really funny, too, because there's a lot of people that own businesses that don't even know what a union is about. They have to go online and Google what is a union. They have no education on unions. It's amazing. You would think that if they're running a business, they would know that, but many do not. So um, what we're going to talk about on the show are kind of like the do's and don'ts. And the first thing, don't fire the organizers. <laughs> this happens all the time. It's illegal. Even though many companies try to justify it by claiming that organizers have broken some kind of a policy. Well, that's not the case. Avoid the many other ways you might be tempted to break the law. Be authentic. Don't get involved in any stunts, things like that. It's really, really good advice. And I'll tell you, it's badly needed because of all the organizing going on right now. So Joyce Goldstein, who has joined us, like I said, for the last couple of years, primarily dealing with uh, labor law and the National Labor Relations Board. And I'll tell you, we've got a very vigilant National Labor Relations Board right now, and that's primarily why we're seeing so many places organizing. In fact, I'm going to talk about that in the story right now. And that is part of our brief look into the world of labor brought to you by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, a regional director at the Labor Board, rejected Amazon's attempt to overturn that historic union victory at the warehouse known as JFK8 on Staten Island, thus removing a key obstacle to contract negotiations between the union and the company. As the New York Times reports, the regional director found there was a lack of evidence to support Amazon's claim of election improprieties and that its objections to the election should be overruled. In particular, they found that the evidence Amazon presented either did not establish that the board or the union acted improperly or that it did not show that their actions altered the outcome of the election. You may recall they voted 55% in favor of the union at that warehouse. Now, the company said it will appeal. No surprise there. And this decision, by the way, comes on the heels of another favorable ruling for the union at JFK 8. In November, a federal judge in New York issued an injunction requiring Amazon 
to cease and desist from firing workers for exercising their labor rights. That judge also forced company officials to read her order to workers at the warehouse. Gotta love that. (laughs) That one hurt Amazon. No doubt about that. And then there's Tesla in California. Tesla Inc. failed to stop a lawsuit by the California Civil Rights Department accusing the company of engaging in a pattern of racial harassment and bias at its main factory. The judge, Evilio Grillo, who is a superior court judge, issued a ruling that throwing out the company's counterclaims that the department's 2022 suit is unlawful. Tesla had claimed state officials did not provide adequate information about those civil rights allegations. Now, the court said Tesla may revise and refile its claims by February 3rd. A little background on the story. Officials in California alleged that they found widespread evidence of black workers subject to mistreatment, including harassment, unequal pay, and retaliation. And this was at Tesla's Fremont plant over the course of a three-year investigation. That suit is one of several workplace discrimination suits that Tesla is now facing. Let's go to uh, Virginia now. Back in November, more than 96% of the amalgamated transit union local 689 members who work for the Loudoun County Transit System there voted to go on strike citing a lack of progress in the contract talks and a series of unfair labor practices by the employer, Keolis, the members went on strike. They did that Wednesday morning. And that strike, they say, will continue until an agreement is reached. We're talking more than 160 bus operators, mechanics, paratransit drivers, dispatchers, and other transit workers. Ray Jackson is the president of ATU Local 689. He said, Keolis has left us with no other choice but to walk off the job. And we encourage commuters to seek other forms of transportation throughout the county. After months of talks, it has become clear that the company has been negotiating in bad faith, committing multiple unfair labor practice violations in the process. Listen to this. When Keolis took over the operation of the transit system. This goes back to April of 2021, almost two years ago. They refused to recognize the existence of the union and did not adopt the contract that was already in place. Then the company slashed retirement benefits. They cut health insurance and eliminated the weekly guarantee of work hours. So workers were forced to hold a recertification vote for the bargaining unit and even though the workers voted 95 percent in favor of the union the company continued to delay and obstruct jackson said keolis won this contract with a lowball bid with the intention of keeping pay low and cutting benefits why so they can profit on the backs of our members the company will only realize the true value of its workforce when we don't show up for work. And that's what's happening now. Keolas can't drive or maintain these buses. Our members know that they're the ones that keep the region moving. 
Our union and our members at Local 689 are fed up with the disrespect Keolis has shown them. We've been down this road before and will fight until we prevail. Wow. This is a perfect example of privatization. You had a public transit system. They sold it off to a contractor. And what they wanted to do is bust the union. That's basically what this is all about. So uh, standing in solidarity today with ATU Local 689. This is in uh, the state of Virginia. One more here before we break. We got some more information. We reported yesterday about that uh, nurse's strike coming to an end after three days in New York City. This happened at two hospitals. The president of the union which is affiliated with uh, National Nurses United, is Nancy Hagens. And she said the following, This is a historic victory for New York City nurses and for nurses across the country. Nurses have done the impossible, saving lives night and day throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. And now we've again shown that nothing is impossible for nurse heroes. Through our unity and by putting it all on the line, we won enforceable safe staffing ratios at both hospitals where nurses went on strike for patient care. Now we're returning to work with our heads held high, knowing that our victory means safer care for our patients and more sustainable jobs for our profession. Hats off to the nurses there and hats off to all the nurses for doing your job. My gosh, you think about what's going on here with this pandemic and first responders working their tails off, and nurses in this case handling 12, 15 patients at a time. Come on. Come on. All right, we have to take a quick break here. When we come back, we're going to check in with Matt Gonzalez, business manager of Labor's Local 1095 in Texas. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE.org. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. From the Golden Gate Bridge to the St. Louis Gateway Arch, the Sears Tower, and just about every building, bridge, and structure in between, our cities and towns wouldn't be the same without iron workers. With over 3,000 contractors employing more than 130,000 highly trained iron workers and 20,000 apprentices, the Iron Workers Union stands ready and able to shape the future of our skylines. Learn more at ironworkers.org. Iron Workers, the sky's the limit. The AFL-CIO is a proud sponsor of America's Workforce Radio. United by efforts to raise wages, listeners to this show and workers all across America are beginning to turn a corner and drive the economic debate. 
The AFL-CIO is comprised of 12.5 million working people, but we stand with and fight for everyone who is working for a better life. For more information about our Raising Wages agenda, go to AFLCIO.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast, AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. You can find more at oh.aft.org. Melissa Cropper will be joining us next Tuesday on the show. Right now, let's go down to Austin, Texas. And joining us on our live line is Matt Gonzalez. Matt is the business manager for Labor's Local 1095. Website is liuna1095.org. And right now they have about 940 members strong covering a big chunk of the state of Texas. And Texas is a big state. Matt Gonzalez, welcome to America's Workforce. How are we doing today, my brother? Doing well, Flash. How have you been? Good, 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 good. Got a little snow here in uh, northeastern Ohio, and I understand a little little chill in Texas. Is that right? Yeah, windbreaker weather. Okay, okay, I get it. Talk to me about uh, your uh, your role at uh, 1095. I see uh, you've been business manager for, what was it now, five years, 12 years with the local. What made you decide to get involved with uh, with Lyuna? Uh, uh, much like uh, the stories of other workers, you know, there was some um, uh, – bad experiences and previous employment and uh, not much opportunity to advance and, you know, the, the fair treatment uh, in that environment. And so um, I had heard about the union and what they offer, went looking and uh, came across by Una. It just so happened that they needed uh, folks for a project at the time that I was looking for a job and uh, the timing was right. So I enrolled and got out to my first union job and, um, shortly thereafter, um, became involved in the local union, um, and it's, it's, uh, you know, functions. And, you know, I was an individual where, uh, my curiosity kind of pushed me towards, um, those, um, meetings and, and the ongoings, uh, at that local so much so that, you know, if I got rained out at work, I was up at the hall talking to the BA and, uh, seeing what I could learn. And uh, it just kind of opened up windows of opportunity, snowballed from there, and um, an opportunity came up to uh, become an organizer and come out of the field. And so I uh, did that and was an organizer for about three years, and that then evolved into an opportunity to become a business manager. And five years later, here we are. I like that. It's a nice climb there. So you were an organizer for a while. Talk to me about that part because, you know, it's it's not easy organizing in a right-to-work state, and you got a lot of folks down there that just don't like unions. Um, I'm sure you had a couple of interesting encounters. Can you speak to that? Uh, yeah. Um, so everything you said is correct. Uh, it is difficult to organize in a right-to-work state. Um, you know, Texas, it's um, uh, definitely a, a – hard market to get into. Um, a lot of the good old boy system definitely exists. Um, you know, short of having rocks thrown at you to get run off a job, uh, being cussed at, um, that that's definitely happened. Heck, I, I was at lunch one day and an, uh, old construction superintendent, um, essentially told me if I voted in a certain way, politically in the upcoming presidential campaign that he was going to find me and, and, 
take action. And so um, that's just uh, a, a brief glimpse of, of what it's like to be in Texas. I hear you on that, Matt, but I will say this. There's a lot of organizing going on in the country. In fact, the uh, the Labor Board says it's uh, the most organizing in the last 20 years. And um, I'm just wondering, any bright spots in the area, any big projects that are going union in your uh, in your jurisdiction? Yeah. Um, so the, the climate, you know, as you can see, what's going on across the country is, is very ripe for uh, organizing, you know, the interest from workers and trying to find, you know, a better work environment, dignified wages and, and better treatment and benefits uh, definitely has increased. And so um, whether it's, you know, city, county projects, uh, private projects, um, we're definitely seeing more windows of, of opportunity open up. We're having uh, out-of-state employers who are uh, union in other locations come to come to Texas and say, hey, look, uh, we have great relationships with the union back home. Let's let's do this here. And um, there's actually some conversations about um, some projects being done under a PLA, uh, which is prohibited in the state of Texas. And so um, through our coalition, um, whether that's building uh, trade councils or with community partners, uh, we are strategizing on how we can get a PLA project done in the state of Texas and show them that when it's done union, it's done right. So in other words, you can, even though it's prohibited, you're able to somehow craft a project labor agreement? I, I need some more well, information on that. Yeah, so let me clarify. So it's prohibited for state projects. Um, city and county projects, there is not uh, a prohibition on it. Uh, but it will be challenged at the state level um, if there's any public dollars in included. Um, so, again, just trying to find a way to maneuver through those nuances and, and make sure that uh, we're in compliance and, again, uh, demonstrate to the community that uh, it can be done. Mm -hmm. I see. Okay. Yeah, it's never a straight line, especially in Texas. you got to figure out a very crafty way to go union talk to me about community partnerships i'm hearing that especially in a lot of right to work states that you have to engage a lot of people and show them the union difference can you uh, can you tell us about that matt what you're doing in that area absolutely so you know in our area we've established a coalition of community partners um you know, certainly the, the local building trade councils, we have uh, faith-based organizations, we have worker protection uh, organizations. Um, we're also uh, working with other unions who don't have a, a presence in construction, nor do we have a presence in their field, uh, so that we can discuss on how uh, each of our issues might have overlap and how we can work collectively to overcome that. And so one of those coalition groups is, you know, the schools our children deserve um, down in San Antonio. And we're meeting with teachers union and uh, some state organizing uh, entities aim to increase voter um, uh, enrollment and voter turnout. And so it's kind of an unlikely group of folks, uh, but we are seeing that 
through those relationships, we're able to more strategically go through um, our uh, list of initiatives and have those discussions with the appropriate elected officials. And we're seeing some movement forward. And so it's very encouraging. That's good to hear. So you're working with the schools on that. Now, there's another part of the schools, and that's uh, trying to get them to get involved in maybe like shop classes. I, and I was talking about this earlier. There used to be a shop class in school when, when I was growing up. But you don't see that anymore. And there's very little emphasis on the trades. So how are we doing that? Are, are, or are we doing that in, in your area, Matt? Absolutely. So that uh, coalition group there in San Antonio, we uh, have in a few short months um, had several strategic meetings and met with several trustees of the San Antonio Independent School District. And the responses that we're getting from those trustees and even the superintendent has been very positive. Um, They're uh, very receptive to the idea of getting – the trade back into the schools. And so we have uh, upcoming meetings with chief of staff and the assistant superintendent in charge of CTE PTEC programs. And we're going to be having conversations about how uh, LIUNA and other affiliates uh, of the building trade can bring value uh, to the district and, and, and in a partnership. And so I think, again, the environment is, is great for not just workers, but for students and finding ways that we can um, develop these relationships with our um, public entities and and, uh, community. Yeah. When you talk about the environment, there's a lot of opportunities right now when it comes to building. Can you uh, give us some examples of some projects that uh, your members at 1095 that are engaged in right now and I'm, I'm sure some of these might be long-term projects i mean we're hearing about ev batteries cars i mean power plants there's got to be a lot of that going on in texas right yeah absolutely so you know you, you probably recall that tesla built a um, manufacturing plant over here outside of austin so we had about 50 guys on that project for uh the better part of two years um and so whether it's that, we're in and out of the Toyota plant. Uh, we currently have a project for light rail system uh, that's going to go through the heart of, of Austin. And so uh, we are partnering with a signatory contractor to do that work. And it's the first of its kind for us here in Texas uh, to be on a transit project of that, that scale. That's good to hear. How does Austin exist in Texas? Because I know that's a pretty liberal city. I don't know how that happens. Yeah, we're, we're definitely fighting tooth and nail at every turn. You know, uh, local government is, as you said, pretty liberal. And so we're able to accomplish a lot through policy at the, the city level. Uh, uh-huh. But then we're always stuck fighting the uh, preemption bills at the legislator, you know, anything we do at a local level, trying to raise the bar and protect workers, they try and tear down uh, in the legislative session. And so uh, whether it's LIUNA, whether it's the Texas AFL-CIO or other um, organizations uh, who have fought for these things, uh, we're left to um, pay attention to what goes on at the ledge and, and, and fight back on that. And yeah. thankfully, uh, in the last few years, we've been able to stave off any attempts from um, Republican-controlled ledge to, to 
go backwards. It's like playing whack-a-mole. I mean, you, you make some progress, and then all of a sudden, boom, they knock you down. That's it. <laughs> all right, Matt. Matt Gonzalez joining us on our live line here. He's the business manager of Labor's Local 1095 website, liuna1095.org. Later in the show, we're going to check in with Joyce Goldstein, and we're going to talk about how businesses should respond to a union drive. Really interesting conversation coming up. Back in a few minutes. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferens. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. The United Steelworkers of America represent over 70,000 workers in the state of Ohio. Steelworker members enjoy the benefits of some of the best contracts of any workers in the world. Many of your friends, neighbors, and relatives are members of one of the most effective Democratic unions in our country. With the pressures unorganized workers are under in today's economy, you need to join them. So call the Steelworkers Organizing Office at 216-292-5683 or toll free at 1-800-443-3752. Hello from the Communication Workers of America, District 4. We are a labor union representing a vast array of workers in different industries, including the Association of Flight Attendants, Telecommunications, CWA Passenger Services, Public Health Care, and Education Workers, the IUE, CWA Industrial Division, the National Association of Broadcast Employees, the CWA News Guild, not to mention our growing digital sector, and many others. If you're interested in organizing your work group or learning more about what it means to be CWA strong, visit our website at www.cwad4.org. That's CWAD4.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And don't forget, you can check us out on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. And when you get an opportunity, just do this. Sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. Before we get back to Matt Gonzalez, just want to salute those who are attending the Martin Luther King Jr. Conference, which actually starts today in Washington, D.C., and will wrap up on Monday. The theme of the conference is Claiming Our Power, Protecting Our Democracy. The MLKConference.org for more information in case you can't attend. I think a lot of that will be online over the weekend. And on Monday... On America's Workforce, we're going to be talking to uh, Dr. William Spriggs. Dr. Spriggs is a economist with the AFL-CIO, and uh, he's going to recall the day that Dr. Martin Luther King was killed in Memphis, Tennessee. He talks about that and the impact that he had, not just on civil rights, but on labor rights. Really important conversation we had. 
and that'll be on Monday's show. Right now, let's go back to uh, Austin, Texas, and rejoin Matt Gonzalez on behalf of Labor's Local 1095. Building a better Texas. It's posted right on their uh, homepage. I like that. Matt, I want to talk about uh, worker protections through policy. And I think we saw a very good example of that in the first two years of the uh, the Biden administration with all the good legislation protecting pensions, Inflation Reduction Act, helping seniors out when it comes to uh, insulin, the cost of insulin, uh, the CHIPS Act, the Infrastructure Act. These are all good things. We're not seeing all the fruits of that right now. It's going to take years. But if you get the right people in office, good things can happen. And I understand you're doing that. Let's zero in on what's happening, I guess, uh, like worker protections and a living wage. There's two examples right there in Austin, Texas. Matt, can you can you tell us? Can you give us some information on what's going on there? Absolutely. So uh, one of uh, the recent uh, policy victories that we've had has been at the city of Austin. And so uh, I want to give you a little bit of uh, data here uh, leading into what this policy is. And so over the last five years, the Texas Workforce Commission has ordered employers to pay more than $49 million uh, owed to Texas workers for wage theft claims. Uh, the analysis says that 7 in 10 workers uh, who experienced wage theft reported economic hardships, including an inability to pay household bills, utilities, and so on. Um, uh, workers who report wage theft uh, also face employer retaliation, such as firing, threats to call immigration authorities, and one in three construction workers surveyed reported retaliation from the employer uh, for filing those wage claims. Uh, and then, you know, so so we know that uh, it is a uh, ongoing uh, abusive pattern by unscrupulous employers. And so, uh, through these community coalition groups, uh, we strategized how we can come up with a policy that would address those issues. And so um, it it took a while, but uh, we finally got the city of Austin to adopt uh, a wage theft ordinance. And uh, it would penalize employers who um, have any wage theft violations. And so uh, through that policy, uh, it's going to create a wage theft coordinator position to assist workers who come forward to report those wage theft violations. It'll also create a public, uh, publicly available database of worker of employers in an in- industry doing business within the city of Austin that have a record of wage theft adjunction, and then bar any employer identified in a wage theft database from entering into contracts with the city of Austin. And so um, that's really a, a huge step forward for workers because, again, in Texas, it's just that good old boy system. And in previous years, although there was uh, some interest in creating something like this, um, there was really uh, not an ability to get that over the finish line. And so uh, through uh, elections and, and you know counseling and meeting with these elected officials, um, they finally saw uh, the writing on the wall and, and, and knew that it was something that as a city they could take steps to implement and uh, help those workers. Now, Matt, here's what scares me on this. You mentioned in the previous segment how the legislature kind of nixes things that happen. I mean, good things like wage theft, uh, protecting workers. They they kind of like say, well, you don't 
you are not allowed to do that kind of thing. Is is that possible in this case with what you did with wage theft in Austin? Yes, it, it is a, a possibility. Um, and so, again, it just takes uh, our folks uh, spending time at the ledge and, and paying attention to what's going on. And, you know, if we hear of uh, a potential attack on those uh, policies, then we have to uh, – put up our best fight and try and stave that off. The other issue is a rest break. And I see the city of San Antonio, which is part of your jurisdiction is working on that one. It's hard to believe that we have to legislate something like that, but can you fill us in on what's going on there? Absolutely. So uh, we're currently engaged with the city of San Antonio to establish a rest break ordinance, uh, providing a 10 minute rest period for every four hours of work. Uh, As you probably know, um, peak summer months in Texas can reach drastic temperatures. Um, it's not uncommon for workers to be working on a day where it's 107 degrees. And so uh, we know that the type of work that we do, the safety equipment that we wear, and the tools that we, we carry with us um, further exacerbate uh, those conditions. And so uh, we are lobbying the city Uh, to establish a rest break ordinance. You know, uh, as you can imagine, uh, industry has come out swinging. Chamber of Commerce has come out swinging saying, you know, it's unnecessary. And so um, what I recently discovered is there's uh, an initiative uh, or proposed policy right now in San Antonio to restrict the use of horse-drawn carriages downtown when the temperatures exceed 95 degrees. Um, because it causes stress to the horse. Uh, now, if they can pass that and give protections for the horses, why in the world would they not pass this for workers? And so uh, we are actively engaged in that stakeholder process along with others from uh, the community. We have uh, union contractors involved in that discussion. We have the building trades and the local AFL-CIO chapter. And so uh, we're going to give them hell and and, and see if we can't get this across the finish line. And so thankfully in that um, uh, attempt, we do have uh, about six votes from council that we've, we've secured so far. It's just a matter of going through this stakeholder process and seeing where we end up. So they're okay with protecting the horses, but they don't give a damn about workers. Is, is that what we're hearing here? Uh, Yeah. Very well stated. Jeez, unbelievable. Is that getting any media play? That, that, that's that got to be a campaign in itself, don't you think? Yeah, we uh, are putting together an op-ed to put out there. Um, uh, so we're going to run the field and, and, and see where, where we come with that or where we end up. Um, you know, another thing I, I wanted to mention regarding policy, um, you know, in Austin Independent School District uh, where I had – previously served for almost three years on the bond oversight committee, uh, we had some policy victories there as well. Uh, And so for those three years that I was on that committee, we were fighting to uh, establish a a baseline of work protections uh, that included local hiring, OSHA 10, OSHA 30 training, um, independent on-site monitoring, uh, living wage, and, and, and so on. And so uh, that was, I'm six years removed from that position. Um, but we finally 
got the district to adopt some basic worker protections in their bond language. And so they have $244 million bond that just passed. And it passed because they included this worker protection language. And so what it does is it ensures a living wage uh, established by the district or prevailing wage under the Davis-Bacon Act for all workers under the contract. It also ensures access to health care and paid sick leave to the uh, extent permissible under law uh, and afford workers a hiring preference uh, where allowed by federal law and regulation uh, and state procurement requirements. Um, that hiring uh, goal is 15% from the local workforce. Um, and then it also requires OSHA 10, OSHA 30 safety training. And so uh, that's also, again, a big step forward in an area where uh, a lot of uh, non-union contractors would not uh, wish to see something like this implemented. Well, Matt, I got to hand it to you. You got a lot of obstacles, a lot of roadblocks, but you are fighting them. One at a time. I like I like what's happening over there at 1095. Matt Gonzalez, business manager, Labor's Local 1095, based in Austin, Texas. They cover about a third of the state. That's a lot of territory. Lyuna, 1095.org. You keep up the fight, my brother. Let's, let's talk down the road, okay? Absolutely. Thank you, Flash. You got it. All right, we'll take a quick break here. Joyce Goldstein. Our distinguished labor lawyer and commentator on America's workforce is going to talk about businesses responding to union drives. That's coming up next. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at voidwaterson.com. The Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Workers are proud to be a title sponsor for America's Workforce Radio. The Insulators Union is leading the way in the mechanical insulation industry, fire stopping, and infectious disease control. Regarded as North America's energy conservation specialist, these professionals are known for their professional work and dedication. You can learn more about the Insulators Union at insulators.org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The, the United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the US, US, Canada, and, and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steelworkers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit SurveyAndBallotSystems.com to learn more. Now. 
Back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the good folks at the United Labor Agency, ulagency.org. Let's go to uh, line number two right now, and welcome back to the show. Joyce Goldstein of Joyce Goldstein and Associates, been practicing labor law for a long time, JoyceGoldsteinLaw.com. And uh, today we're going to talk about all the union organizing going on and how employers are responding, many of them doing the wrong things. (laughs) Joyce Goldstein, Happy New Year to you. How are we doing today? Great, thanks. Happy New Year to you, Flash. Yeah, I was reading here in 2022, workers in the United States voted to form more unions than they have in nearly 20 years. We're seeing it across the board. Starbucks, we got uh, Trader Joe's, Amazon. In fact, I just talked about Amazon at the top of the show. The NLRB came down on them again because uh, they said that they wanted to throw out the election. The labor board said, no, you can't do that. (laughs) You can't do that. Come on now. So talk to me about this. Uh, It's kind of like the do's and don'ts. So many employers, I I couldn't believe this. There's some employers that have to go online and try to find out the definition of a union. That's how bad it is. (laughs) What's going on out there, Joyce? Well, I think that if you haven't had the experience uh, personally of being a member of a union or being in a workplace where there is a union, I think that, you know, there's no obvious reason why people would know about unions and what having a union is and what it's like day to day. You know, you think about it, uh, the percentage of people in unions in the United States has dropped so dramatically over the years. uh, And we don't in public schools or certainly not in public schools teach about labor history and the role of unions. And so I think that as people are now beginning to unionize more for all kinds of reasons, I think that there's a fundamental ignorance about unions. And if you're an employer in one of those workplaces where your employees are starting to unionize, I think it's got to be kind of scary. You don't know what a union is and whether it's something hostile and how to respond and what to do. And uh, and it's complicated. There are not there aren't easy answers, and there are legal answers. And there's some things that you're lawfully permitted to do, and some things you're lawfully prohibited from doing. But you know the law is complicated. And then there's the whole question about just because you can do something legally, does it make it a good idea? Should you do it? And mm-hmm. I think that it's. Uh, it's a real challenge for employers who particularly for those who want to do the right thing and don't want to be hostile or, you know, and and difficult with their employees. It's hard to know what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah. Joyce, do you find in your experience over the years that a lot of employers, they feel that why do you need a union? We we offer a great environment. We're, uh, we're giving you good pay. We're giving you good benefits. Well, that's their view. And they often approach it that way. And so many of them, they even get scared and they call a law firm. Say they have to bust the union right away or bust a union drive. Do you uh, do you see that happening in your experience, or have you seen that happening over the years? Pretty much to be yeah, the sure. example. 
Yeah, sure. I think that that does happen. And I think, you know, again, when if an employer is approached by his her employees and they indicate that they want to unionize, I think that um, a lot of employers just freak out. And because they don't, they are fundamentally ignorant about it and unions have been presented in the media and elsewhere as being so bad and, you know, all of the drama around union thugs and corruption and awful things. I think that there's just so much ignorance and fear that then results from that. And that, you know, when you have an employer who thinks they're decent and as you say, thinks they're already providing good wages and benefits and working conditions, and then their workers say they want to unionize. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Why, why would you need to do that? Don't you already have everything you need? Well, you know, maybe yes, maybe no. I think, you know, workers unionize for all kinds of reasons. It could be obviously for better wages or benefits or better working conditions. It could be to have a voice at work, to be able to act collectively and speak in uh, uh, more collectively. I mean, of course, you know, if you are an individual employee in a workplace, you have your own voice. And that's not a voice that is equal to that of the employer who sets your terms and conditions of employment. But by having a union, it levels the playing field somewhat. And that's that's really the purpose of having a union. And, uh, And that could be, I think, in and kind, you know, threatening and intimidating for an employer, even one who might be well-intentioned. And I think that's, that to me is really the challenge. I mean, you have the employers out there, the Amazons and the Starbucks. And I have to say, I think that we would all um, agree, at least those coming out of the labor movement, that they are not well-intentioned. Those are employers who are not well-intentioned from all that we can observe. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think that there are a lot of employers in the public sector and the private sector and the nonprofit sector who really do want to do the right thing. And they are well-intentioned. They just don't know what to do. And, and I think that one of the first things that employers do, and reasonably so when there's a, a union organizing campaign, is they go to experts to help them. And they go to law firms, as you said. Mm-hmm. And most management side labor law firms are, you know, approach this task with a, you know, if a, a new employer comes to them, assuming that they're going to fight it, that they're going to fight it and be hostile. I think it's the rare lawyer out there representing management who, when the employer comes to them and says, hey, you know, this isn't necessarily a terrible thing. How do you want to approach it? Can we be collaborative? Can we view this in a way that is not, you know, the end of the world and not be chicken little? And, you know, how how to act in a way that is lawful and sensitive to the needs of employees in a way that is uh, helpful both to the employer and to the employees in in moving forward. I think it's very hard to find professionals, lawyers out there who can guide employers in giving them that kind of advice. Yeah. 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 Right away they say, okay, what do you want to do to, uh, to stop this union drive? And that's the first thing they think of, you know, I wish more people, I don't know if you saw this story about Microsoft 
We talked about this the other day with the communication workers, Zenimax workers. Now, these are people that work on uh, computer games and they wanted to organize. And it turns out that Microsoft uh, bought the company and Microsoft came in there. And this was even baffling to me. They said, OK, if you want a union, we're not going to interfere. They, they decided to remain neutral and they voted for the union. That would be great. I, I guess in a perfect world, if more companies would say that or act that way, remain neutral. Imagine the growth of unions in America today. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be a nice choice? <laughs> right. That would be great. And I think really, to, to me, that's the gold standard. The gold standard is neutrality. The you know, labor law in the United States protects an employee's right to be in a union. It also protects employees' right to not be in a union. So, you know, there maybe, you know, there certainly are employees who don't want to have anything to do with the union, and that's their legitimate legal prerogative. So I think that the, the important thing is for an employer, as you say, to be neutral. Let employees figure it out. Let them determine for themselves what's in their best interest. Because, you know, what we see instead is we see those employers who go out there most of the time and fight the union and see it as a hostile, threatening force. And they don't do what you just pointed out, uh, what Microsoft did. I, I think what we've seen statistically is that when employers are neutral in union organizing campaigns, unions win. Yep. That's kind of what happens. If they're neutral, unions win because more people support unions than don't. And yeah. if the employer doesn't interfere and try to get its own perspective of you know ways to fight the union and keep the union out and try to tell its story through captive audience speeches and other kinds of means to scare and threaten people, if they just you know stay out of it and let people figure out what they want, uh, most workplaces would figure out they want a union. Yeah, yeah. And especially this time, I mean, companies are looking for workers. They want good workers and they are paying them more. They're giving them better benefits. But if they want to unionize, they're going to keep those employees a long time. And that's that's what makes companies profitable. Good stuff here. Good conversation. Joyce Goldstein, Joyce Goldstein and Associates, JoyceGoldsteinLaw.com. Joyce has been practicing labor law for a long time. I'm going to let you go back to practicing. You take care. We'll We'll do this again next month. Okay. Thank you so much. Happy New Year. Yeah, same to you. All right, that'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Coming up on Monday, we're going to check in with the International Association of Professional and Technical Employees and Labor's top economists on Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful weekend. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.